Uh, we just finished last week in Romans chapter 5 as we took a pretty big chunk from 12 to 21 uh, looking at uh, who we are in Adam and who we are in Christ. And you can see, if you remember from last week, just the complete contrast between being in Adam and being in Christ. And really we have to remember that context as we jump into chapter 6 tonight. We're going to be looking at chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Uh, For the purpose of the context, let me read from chapter 5, verse 20, and go through chapter 6, verse 4, where we'll end our time tonight. So, starting in Romans 5, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what we'll be focusing on this evening. Let me pray for us uh, for God's grace as we approach his word. Lord God, I first ask that you would strengthen me in my weakness. God, that you would uh, speak your truth through me. Despite my insufficiencies, Lord, I pray that I, your grace would be upon us tonight. Lord, that we would see clearly your gospel, that we would see clearly Christ uh, and your grace. God, I pray that uh, you'd be honored and glorified through this time, that you'd be exalted. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sometimes maybe you uh, you hear something over and over again, uh, whether it's a word or a phrase, or whatever it might mean, but you hear maybe your parents say something to you over and over and over again, and over time it kind of loses its meaning. Uh, maybe for some of you it's pick up your room, and it loses that meaning. Hopefully not, right? Uh, it just kind of becomes white noise. Maybe it's, it's, it's lost its weight over time. It's lost its impact on you because you hear it over and over again becomes repetitive. Maybe it's no longer as meaningful. It doesn't have that meaningful effect on you than it once had a long time ago. The great danger is when we allow this to happen to God's grace. When we allow this to happen to his gospel. All right, we should never allow this to happen. Never allow it to happen where you've heard about God's grace too much. You've heard about the gospel too much that it's lost its meaningful impact. But God's grace is power. God's grace and his gospel, it changes everything. It affects the way we live our lives. It transforms us. So we must never get bored of God's grace or his gospel. Now here in chapter 6, Paul, he's, he's coming fresh off of talking about how the Christian is no longer in Adam, but now he is in Christ. And as we start reading tonight, Romans 
5.20, he makes a big statement saying that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And in this next passage here in chapter 6, we see Paul's anticipation of the rejection of such an amazing gospel of grace. And then he continues to talk about what union with Christ looks like. Now that we are in Christ, what does that union in Christ look like? So tonight we're going to look at the transforming power of the grace of God. In order for us to do this, we're first going to look at the amazing gospel of his grace. Then we're going to see how that gospel and being united with Christ makes a true impact on our life. All right, so that's that's how we're going to approach it this evening. So two main sections and two points per section. The first is a gospel of grace, verses one and two. A gospel of grace. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is a gospel of grace. And the first point in this section is that the true gospel of Jesus Christ overflows with grace. The true gospel of Jesus Christ overflows with grace. Paul is preaching such a a gospel that is full of grace that he anticipates some pushback a little bit. He anticipates some questions to this amazing grace that he's talking about. The question that he naturally anticipates is, well, are we to continue to sin? That grace may abound? Is that what we should do? Now, why would he anticipate this question? Because of what he said in chapter 5, verse 20. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Like that is some amazing grace, right? We looked at this last week just for a little bit. That we're not really used to this grace. We're not really like this. In fact, most of the time we're the opposite. When others sin against us, our natural response is what? Is to withdraw from them a little bit. Like, oh, you you sinned against me. Like there's, there's a little rift between us now. Our response is not to draw closer to them. It's often to withdraw from them. If someone offends you and they keep offending you and they they keep sinning against you over and over again, you likely won't be as close to that person. Maybe they won't be as good of a friend. Or maybe you'll even just be so divided that they become your your enemy or, or, or someone that you avoid. Not the case with God here for his people. Paul says that where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Like, that's a shocking statement to say, wait, you're saying that the the more I sin and the more grace I receive? So in light of that, what he just said, the accusation will be, well, all right, so isn't it good and isn't it glorifying to God for us to sin so that we can receive more grace? And if we receive more grace, then, then we can better show his glory? That's the question. That's the question that's being approached here. Should we sin more so that grace may abound? So a few things to consider as as we ponder that question. First, I I think it's important to understand that that line of questioning is not unreasonable. In fact, to some degree, it's logical. Like, let's just step back and really think about it. If when we sin, 
God's grace is given and displayed, then the more we sin, the more God's grace is able to be given and displayed, right? Like that, you think of that logically, okay, that kind of makes sense. Like, don't we want God's grace to be given and displayed? Isn't that a good thing? Yes or no, for God's grace to be given and displayed? Yes. The more we sin, the more God's grace is displayed. The more God's grace is displayed, the more glory he receives. Like, that's the line of thinking here. It's, it's not a ridiculous question that they would ask. In fact, it's a decent question to consider. It's somewhat logical. I'm not saying it's correct. But I'm saying you can understand how someone might ask this. So first, I think it's important for us to understand this. It's not unreasonable. But secondly, we, we need to consider, in light of this, what kind of of gospel we are preaching. What kind of gospel are we preaching to others? It ought to be a gospel so full of grace that people question it, as they did Paul. You have to be preaching and living out a, a gospel that is so saturated and, and just dripping with grace that someone says, well, then should I keep sinning? That grace may abound? That's the gospel that Paul's preaching. And people are like, wait a second, so, so I should just keep sinning? Like, what is the gospel that you're preaching? Are you preaching a gospel that a Pharisee or, or a Mormon or Jehovah, a Jehovah Witness that they can say amen to? That's not the gospel of Christ. If I preach a sermon and a Mormon walks out of here saying, wow, that was a good sermon then I've done a disservice to them and to the gospel. No. Yes, I, I did. <laughs> Any other religion teaches that in order for you to go to heaven or for you to be loved by God, you need to stop sinning and you need to start doing good works. This person's not preaching a gospel of grace, but is preaching a gospel of works. So if you are preaching that kind of gospel, gospel of works, then, then no chance someone asks the question, well, should I keep sinning so that grace may abound? They won't ask that question if, if you're preaching that kind of a false gospel. Instead, the response is, oh, man, I better straighten up my life. But we should be preaching a gospel of so much grace that people ask this question. That people are like, what are, what are you saying? Like, no, no way God loves that much. Where my sin increases, God's grace abounds? That's what you're telling me is the gospel? Yes. Yes, that's what I'm telling you. That's why we sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Right? Why? Because it is truly amazing grace. Paul is preaching this kind of a gospel, a gospel so full of grace. That people would question him in this way. Do you preach a gospel full of grace? Is that the gospel that you proclaim? <coughs> Thirdly, I think we need to consider, in light of this question that Paul is anticipating, we need to consider how amazing the gospel of Jesus Christ truly is. We shouldn't read this and just pass right through it, but I think we need to stop and realize how amazing it is. That, his, that the gospel of Jesus Christ overflows with grace. 
The gospel is not a gospel that says you need to earn God's love or favor. The gospel is not a gospel that says that you need to clean yourself up or, or figure it all out first and then God will accept you. The gospel says what? Come as you are. The gospel says come you weary and heaven laden and I will give you rest. The gospel says your sin is great but my grace is greater. The gospel is not about completing the law. It's not about doing good. It's about receiving through faith and by grace the righteousness of Christ that he completed the law on your behalf. Preach a gospel of grace and of grace and of more grace. So I think people are scared to preach a gospel of grace sometimes. They'll say, well, we shouldn't preach too much grace or people will just keep on sinning. They'll say, if, if you preach too much grace, then they'll just say that they believe and receive God's grace. But then no change will happen and they'll just keep sinning. Like, we don't want to do that. You don't want to preach too much grace. And I would respond by saying that if you hear the gospel and your response is to say, great, then I'll keep sinning then the gospel did not have a true impact on your heart. I believe that the more you properly understand the grace of God, the less you will desire to sin. You understand, Christian? Do you understand, Christian, that you are completely free in Christ? I mean completely free. Christian, you are free to sin against God. Do you understand that? You're free to sin. And maybe you hear that and it does not sit right. Maybe you're thinking, uh, Luke, you shouldn't tell us that we're free to sin. Otherwise, we're going to go home and we're going to sin because you told me that I'm free to do so. <clears throat> you can go home and sin. You can. But if you hear me say that, and that's your thought, and that's your desire, you don't truly understand the grace of God. Now I'd question the genuineness of your salvation. There's a difference between if you can and if you should. See, because the true Christian, when they understand the grace of God, and they understand how amazing it is, they do not desire then to go sin. They, they, they don't want to go sin. Instead, they desire to not sin. Instead, they desire to go live for him. See, there's a difference. Is the Christian free to sin? <laughs> yes. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed, says John 8, 16. But don't use your freedom to sin. Why would you? Use your freedom to live for him. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, says Galatians 5.13. See, the Christian sees the grace, sees his freedom, and he says, God, I just, I just want to live for you. Like, that's what I want to do with my freedom, not sin. I've been set free, but, not, but not, not, I don't want to sin with my freedom. I want to live for you. See, God has given us so much freedom. Like, that's how deep His grace is. We understand the fullness and the greatness 
of God's grace. It changes us in such a way that we no longer want to live for sin, but instead we want to live for God. That's the true effect of God's grace. That we are indeed free. And in our freedom, what do we want to do? We want to put away our sin. And we want to follow Christ. Now let me be clear. I'm not suggesting easy beliefism or, or antinomianism. I'm not saying that all you need to do is just say a prayer when you're five and that nothing changes from then on out. But don't worry because you're saved because you said a prayer however long ago. And that's fine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that that you need to just completely disregard and just throw away the law and and righteous living uh, for, for God because it's all useless. It doesn't matter how we live our lives. I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is that having a proper view of God's grace and how amazing and how freeing it is, it results in joyful, voluntary, sacrificial living for him. So do you, do you see now like the, the absurdity of the question that, that's being raised here in, in verse 1? Like, why would we say, well, should I keep sinning so grace abounds? Like what? If, if you're asking that question, then you haven't truly experienced the grace of God. If you look at your freedom to sin and you say, sweet, then I'm going to keep sinning. Then you have not truly experienced the saving grace of God that gives you this freedom. Genuine Christian hears where sin increased, grace abounds. And they're not motivated then to go on sinning. But instead they're motivated to defeat sin and live for God. That's the difference. That's how incredible the grace of God truly is. So not only do we see that the true gospel of Jesus Christ overflows with grace, but we also see... But the true gospel of Jesus Christ causes transformation. The true gospel of Jesus Christ causes transformation. We see this all throughout. All throughout the entire Bible. We see that a genuine saving relationship with God always is accompanied by holy living and good works. This is really going to be a major theme in the next couple of chapters, especially here as we roll through chapter 6. And it backs up his first point, that if, you, if you've truly experienced the amazing grace of God, then you won't want to keep sinning. Instead, you'll want to live for him. That's him backing up this point. How does Paul answer his own rhetorical question of, are we to continue in sin as grace may abound? How does he respond to it? With an emphatic, by no means. He says, or literally, may it never be. And then he follows that up by asking us a question. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still live in it? The word died there is is actually in the aorist tense, which means that it's a single action that's already taken place. Already died, single, in the past, taking place. It's not going to happen. It's not continuing to happen. But it's already happened, in the past, done. That's the tense of died. And he's saying, Christian, you have died in the past, already done, to sin. 
That if you are in Christ, then the old life, which is in Adam, that's the past. And you've died to that. You've died to being in Adam. We can't go back to that, is what he's saying. Don't go back to living like you're still in Adam. If the true Christian in Christ, the true Christian who's now in Christ, has died to sin, then it would be contradictory for them to live in sin since they already died to it. You see what I'm saying? Like it, 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 How can you say, I've died to sin and I'm alive in Christ, but then go back and live in sin? It's impossible to be made alive in Christ and still be alive in sin. Like it, just, it makes no sense. Now notice what he does say, are we to continue in sin? In which he says, by no means. He says, are we to continue? So does the Christian still sin? Yes, Yes, right? Thank you, Kaylee. Yes, the Christian does still sin. You bet. So what's he getting at? He's saying continue. To continue in sin. He's not saying that you're sinless. It It is what? It's the practice of sin. It is the habitual sin in one's life. It's the unrepentance of sin that Paul's saying, look, the Christian has died to that. It's not that the Christian is now without sin. The difference is the Christian has now been forgiven of all sin and is now set free from the controlling power and chains of sin. The Christian life is, 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 is a life of two different biographies. Okay, this, is, this is how we can think of the Christian life. Volume 1 was when you were in Adam. And volume 2 is being in Christ. And there should be a dramatic difference in these two volumes. They cannot be the same. If someone were to read the two volumes of your life, let's say you're here and you're, you claim to be a Christian. So you're saying, yep, I have two volumes. I have, I have an in, in Adam and I have an in Christ. Two volumes. If someone were to read those two volumes of your life, would they be reading the same book? You see, you see what I'm saying? Like, are they reading the same volume here? Like, would they pick up volume two and they finish reading it and they say, man, that's, that's pretty much the same as the first one. If you're in Christ, may it never be, as Paul would say. There ought to be two completely different, distinct, different lives. If you are in Christ, your life should look dramatically different. Than when you were an Adam. What about the person who grew up in a Christian home and then became saved? Or if you're here and you're like, ah, but you know, I grew up in a Christian home, I was always kind of good, but then I, I did become saved. But you know, I don't know, it doesn't look that much different. I was going to church then, I'm going to church now. Like, does their life look dramatically different? Yes, it does. In, in some ways, no. Like, yes, maybe they went to church in both times. But it looks completely different. How? How do they look different? That's something maybe you can discuss in your discussion groups tonight. Okay, we want. <laughs> Ethan, you're like, oh, man, you put that on me. <laughs> yeah. It's a good one to discuss, though, right, Ethan? Yeah. If you are in Christ, you've been given new life. And a new nature. And Paul says, don't go back to the old way of life. He says, you, you've already died to it. Don't go back to it. If you've already died to it, what are you doing? John Stott wrote, he said, quote, A born-again Christian should not more think of going back to the old life 
than an adult to his childhood or a discharged prisoner to his prison cell, end quote. Just think about that. It would be strange and unhealthy if as an adult you started putting on diapers and drinking out of baby bottles and sleeping in the crib and saying goo goo gaga. It'd be disgusting, actually quite disturbing. If David started doing that, oh my gosh, David, that's gross. Let's be honest. I mean, right? Yeah. It'd be gross. Disturbing. Even more strange. I don't know if there's anything more strange than that. I'm going to say yes. Even more strange and even more unhealthy and more disturbing is the born-again Christian going back to, to living in sin again. The sin in which he's been saved from and going back to that. Paul is saying, do you not know that? He said, how can we who died to sin still live in it? If you are a Christian, God has saved you from your sin. From what? What, what does that mean, save me from a sin? That means so much. From its punishment, from its guilt, from its bondage, from its reign over you, and even from, it, from its practice. And your practice of sin. So to continue on in practicing sin, Christian, is to contradict the very purpose of God's salvation for you. It makes no sense. So the Christian, while, while still struggles with sin, fights their sin and does not live in it, but is dead to it. See, this is, this is part of the sanctification process for the Christian. It's becoming more like Christ. Sometimes I think we, we view justification and sanctification as two separate things, right? We, we view justification, right, being justified, being saved, and saying, yeah, look, I've been saved by God. And then sanctification, becoming more like Christ, we, we view them as two separate things. When in reality, they're, they're, they're just different aspects of the same thing, of salvation. But we categorize them so we can understand it better. But these two must never be separated. Both require God's grace. In being justified. We need God's grace to be justified. But guess what? It doesn't stop there. In your sanctification, as you're becoming more and more like Christ, as you're mortifying sin and putting on godliness, we need God's grace for that too. And both are, are inseparable in salvation. If you have sanctification, if you're, if you're growing in Christ and, and you're producing fruit and doing good works, if you have that sanctification without justification... Well, then you have no true salvation. You're just a Pharisee. If you have justification and say, yes, I prayed the prayer. I have faith and repentance. But no sanctification? God hasn't been changing you at all? You have no true salvation. So they are inseparable. God in his great grace justifies his people. And God in his great grace sanctifies them as well. So you see, salvation is not just a legal transaction that happened. All right, I'm good with God now. It doesn't end there. But the legal transaction always results in a transformation. So if you are here tonight, maybe you're here tonight and you claim to be a Christian, let me ask you, has there been a transformation in your life? You say, yes, I'm a Christian. 
Has there been a transformation in your life? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Being in Christ means being dead to sin. And it means having a newness of life. Which brings us to our next major section. Which is a newness of life. Verses 3 and 4. A newness of life. First, in a newness of life, what we see is that the true Christian has union with Christ. The true Christian has union with Christ. Now remember in its context, Paul's been talking about no longer being united in Adam, right? We were first in Adam, but now instead being united in Christ. And we looked at some aspects last week of the Christian's union with Christ. We'll look at more tonight. Paul continues talking about that, our union with Christ. And he says that we were baptized into Christ. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. All right, verses 3 and 4. What does that even mean, that we are baptized into Christ? All right, first, it's important for us to know. Paul is not talking about water baptism. And when, he's talking, when he says baptism, he's not talking about water baptism. And he's certainly not talking about water baptism, about salvation through water baptism. If Paul were trying to argue that salvation through water baptism right here, as some do believe, then it would completely contradict his main point that he made in chapters 3 through 5, leading up to this, that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, and not of any kind of our works. No, Paul uses baptism for exactly what it is. An outward picture of an inward reality. See, baptism represents identification. And it represents being buried with Christ and being raised to new life. Right? Imagine like being baptized. It represents leaving the old way of living and moving now forward towards Christ in the new way of living. That's what he's getting at here, is being baptized, being united with Christ, identifying with Christ. All Christians have been baptized into Christ, making them completely immersed and one with him. That's what he's saying. That's what he's getting at with baptism with Christ. Do you understand that being one in Christ, it dramatically changes the way you live your life? That's what he's saying. Here... In the second half of two, into three, it says, how can we who died to sin still live it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Like, if, if we've been baptized in Christ and we are truly one in him, united in him, then our lives must be different, he says. It has to be different. If we are united with Christ, if we have union with him, we, our lives have to be different. It can't, we can't still be in sin. Let's look at what Paul says. Write down 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 15. I'll read it for you. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 15. Paul is also writing this. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Right? He's saying, hey, look, yeah, we, I have freedom, but if it's not helpful. He's like, well, I'm not going to do it. Like, right? Like, don't use your freedom to sin. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. And listen to this. 
The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us, there's that union, by his power. Listen to this again. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Again, union with Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, he says. Now, the context of this is sexual immorality. Paul's point is that, Christian, you are united with Christ. You are a member of Christ now. So how can you, being part of the body of Christ, devote yourself to a prostitute? Devote your body to sexual immorality. You're united with Christ. Don't unite with a prostitute. That doesn't have to apply just to sexual immorality. But I think it can apply to all sins. That Christian... Your body is not meant for sin. Your body is meant for Christ now. Not for sin. You're united with him. You're united with Christ. Don't go on sinning. How are you using your body? How do you use your body with what you look at, with what you do, with what you say, with where you go? How are you using your life? The life in which you're saying, if you're a Christian, it's been united with Christ. How do you use that life? For sinful gain? Or for Christ? Christian, in your union with Christ, turn away from your sin and turn towards righteousness. You are one with Christ. So pursue what is glorifying to Him. Not what is sinful and holy against him like why go back if you're a christian why go back and live for the very thing that christ died for to go back to what offends and robs god of his glory why would we want anything to do with that why would we want anything to do with 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 sin if we're united with christ we die to the old life we've been transferred to the new life How can we go back, he says. Don't go back. I find it interesting that Paul says in verse 4 that we were buried, therefore, with him. That we were buried. It's interesting that he adds buried. I think we understand he also says, right, that we died with him. Okay. We rose with him. All right. But why make it a point to say buried? Like, what would this add to this? Here it is that died. He said rose I buried. And there's debate on it. I think I, I like, I agree with James Boyce's take on it. James Boyce suggests that Paul talks about being buried with Christ as a way of, of completely putting our sin away with. Just burying it. Right? When, when there's a dead body, what do we do? We bury it. Why? To completely put away with it. Like, we bury it. Like, if you left it out, if you left out, remember Mr. Dead Guy? He was here while we are playing Davy Jones. Yeah, if, if, if we just left it, like, if you just left out a dead body and you didn't bury it, it'd still be around. Like, it would linger. It'd be like, oh, yeah, there's Mr. Dead Guy. He's dead, but he's still here. Right? Like, he's still lingering. But to bury a dead body is to remove it from life. Like, it's gone. It's buried. I think that's what Paul's trying to emphasize here. That that's our old life. Our old life of sin is buried in Christ. It's gone. It's put away with completely. Just done. It's not lingering anymore. 
So Christian, to go back to sin is like digging up a dead body and keeping it around, just sucking in the stench of rotting flesh. Don't go digging up your, your, your dead old way of living. Don't go back to sin. You're alive in him. So go live, he says. And go live for Christ. Don't dig up your dead body. Well, how do we do this? By walking in newness of life, he says in verse 4. Raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, how we too might walk in newness of life. That's our last point here tonight. That the true Christian walks in newness of life. What's the result of being dead to Adam and alive in Christ, living in the gospel of grace and being united with Christ? What is it that we too might walk in newness of life? When Paul says that we walk in newness of life, notice the word newness. Newness does not refer to to time like it's the newest thing. But instead it refers to newness of quality or newness of character. See, it's a quality and character that was not there before. His point is that if you've been baptized into his burial and into his death and into his resurrection, there will be newness, newness that was not there before you came to Christ. That now if you're a Christian, what is this newness of quality and character? That you begin hating your sin. That you begin desiring obedience to God. That your character is becoming less like the world and more like Christ. That there's a difference. Something that wasn't there before is now there. A newness of life. There's a newness in which you walk. If you claim to be a Christian, if you're here tonight and you claim to be a Christian, I ask you, is there a difference in how you walk? Is there a difference? Has Christ made a difference in your life in the way in which you walk? Are you walking? How are you walking? Let's read. We won't read the whole thing, but write down Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. There's a great passage about who we are apart from Christ and who we are in Christ. And the first three verses describes the natural man in Adam. And then then it talks about the regenerate man in Christ, verses 4 through 10. Listen just verses 1 and 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, all this, all this stuff talking about that you're following, uh, you know, Satan as the prince of the power of the air. You're carrying out the desires of your flesh, the body, child of wrath, all this stuff. But he says, in which you once walked. Now go to verse 10 when he's talking about being in Christ. He says, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And he uses the same word, walk, in which you once walked, or here that God prepared beforehand good works, that we should walk in them. We are walking. But how are you walking? Are you walking following the course of this world? That what, what, whatever the world says, that, that yet you say, yeah, I agree. That you're walking following Satan, carrying out the desires of your body and mind. Is that how you're walking? Or are you walking in the good works in which God prepared beforehand? This is the newness of life in which Christians walk. Now remember, this is in light of the incredible gospel of grace. 
We cannot forget that. It's not that we walk in good works so that God loves us, or we walk in good works so that Christ accepts us, so that we can be in Christ. No, but we walk in the newness of life, Christian. We walk in good works because by God's grace we've received this incredible freedom of Christ. And we've been united in Him. And now we have no greater desire but to live for Him. That's why we walk in good works. Is that your desire? Do you desire that? What are your motives for walking? In whichever path you walk on, what are your motives? When you walk in sin, why do you do so? Do you walk in sin because you have no regard for the glory of God? Do you walk in sin because you you are enslaved to your fleshly desires? And so when your flesh says, I want that, you, you obey it and you say, yes, flesh, I'll do that. Or when you walk in good works, why do you do so? Why do you walk in good works? So that God's happy with you? So that other people are happy with you? I hope, Christian, that you walk in good works because you love God and you want nothing more than to glorify him to live for him. The true Christian walks in newness of life. And he walks with a renewed motive. In light of the gospel, overwhelmed by God's grace, he seeks to live for him. The true gospel of Christ makes a true impact on our life. Has the gospel made an impact on your life. Many of you guys have heard the gospel. What kind of an impact has it had on your life? Some of you in this room are not in Christ. You're still an Adam. What I mean is that you're not a Christian. That you do not have a personal loving relationship with God. What you need is not to live a good life. We talked about walking in newness of life. We, we, we talked about having two different biographies. You don't have newness in life, non-Christian. You don't have two volumes of biographies. It's not about having good works. And then you'll have newness of life. That's not how it works. It's about placing your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin, and receiving new life from him. Non-Christian, if you're here, you're not a Christian. You should not walk away tonight thinking that you need to do more good. Or that you need to live a better life. I hope that's not what you walk away with, non-Christian. You need to walk away hearing and understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Non-Christian, you need to understand that his grace is amazing. And that his grace is what you need. And that apart from his grace, you will not be saved. But you will remain dead in Adam. Don't pursue Good works? Non-Christian, don't pursue good works. Pursue Christ and his grace and receive his grace. Now, end with a word to the Christian. Christian, you too need to walk away understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. It starts here. The gospel. It doesn't end there. Don't, don't, don't abandon it. Not, never be abandoned. But keep the gospel fresh in your heart and your mind, Christian. Do we pursue righteous living? 
Yes, we pursue righteous living. How can you still live in sin if you've already died to it? But it is the gospel that is at the core of our pursuit of righteousness. Not so that we can become righteous, but because we have already been made righteous in Jesus Christ. If you have truly died to sin, you've been buried with Christ, you've died with Christ, and raised with Christ, and Christians, see his amazing grace that you've received. See that amazing grace in your freedom. And be moved to live for him. Christian, is, is, is your biography different now? Do you have two volumes? It ought to be. It ought to be different. It, it ought to be two completely different volumes. The reader ought to say, are, are these biographies even the same person? They have the same name, but I, I feel like it's two completely different stories. Because one was dead and was in Adam, and the other is alive in Christ. So Christians, see the amazing grace of God. Don't forget God's grace. See that amazing grace, and then be transformed to live for him, to walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the freedom we have in you. Thank you that your love for us is unchanging despite our sin. Lord, I pray that we would be motivated and moved by your grace. That we would walk in newness of life. That we would now live for you. God, help show us where we do not understand your grace. Help show us where we do not walk in you. Lord, I pray that we would seek to glorify you in all things. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.